0: Remember, a Jedi can feel the Force flowing through him. You mean it controls your actions? Partially, but it also obeys your commands. (laughs) (laughs) Hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. You don't believe in the Force, do you? Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other I've seen a lot of strange stuff But I've never seen anything to make me believe There's one all-powerful force controlling everything There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny It's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense I suggest you try it again, Luke This time, let go
1: your conscious self And act on instinct
0: (laughs) With the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone. So pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 433, Top 10 OT Moments, Part 1. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Han Solo to my Chewbacca. We've got Carl LeClaire.
1: <laughs> oh, classic right there, Jason. Can't get any better than that. <laughs> uh, no, no. No. I love me some Han Solo. And, of course, my faithful compatriot in good old Jason Hunt. I love you. That's pretty good. I feel like that's just as
0: good as what Jonas does. <laughs> yeah, and Jonas has had practice. Jonas yes. has had a lot of practice. He sure
1: has. And he's, he's good. He's very good.
0: He is, he is very good. Um, but
1: we are so excited to be back and continuing our march through the Star Wars Skywalker saga with another two-part top ten episode. Uh, Jason, again, this was something we did in year one and exactly month one of the podcast nearly a decade ago where we looked at, of course, our top 10 original trilogy moments. And I'm so excited to revisit these. And um, I don't know about you, Jason, but as I was putting my list together uh, over the weekend, I noticed that this list, more so than my prequel list, um, was relatively unchanged from what I can remember. Again, I don't remember Exactly what I put on my list, at, you know, ten years ago. Um, but I f- have a feeling, especially my top five, a lot of them are the same. Um, six through ten, which we're covering today, I may have some different ones. Um, but again, that was a long time ago.
0: Yeah, in a galaxy far, far away. Oh wait, um, no, <laughs> <laughs> I think that works here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I my my list. I think is actually pretty different. Awesome. Uh, That's very cool. Than what it was ten years ago. So th- there's definitely some that'll be familiar. I I honestly don't know. I haven't gone back and listened to what my list was last time. But I do think that there's there's definitely a lot of new stuff on here since we've been talking over the last almost ten years on this podcast. Um, but and honestly. I was a little surprised. You're rubbing off on me on some of these OT moments, Ooh. Carl. Well, that's
1: great. Cause you rubbed off on me with prequel moments.
0: So it works out
1: <laughs> from day one. We, we created this podcast because I was, I was a big OT guy and you were a big PT guy. And I was like, we would make a great podcast. <laughs>
0: that, that is very true. And we do. I agree. we do make a great podcast.
1: I agree. Um, so, uh, Jason, before we dive into our list here, uh, we, had a, we did do a poll from our last episode when, uh, of course, Greg was with us to talk about Rising Storm, which was an awesome discussion. Um, and we asked people to let us know who their favorite character from the um, High Republic was. I posted it very late, and we just didn't get any responses, which is, which is fine. Um, but we have a new poll that we know y'all are going to want to participate in at the end of this episode. So stick around for that for sure. Um, and one yeah. other quick reminder before we dive in. Um, I will be once again on our Instagram. Uh, I'm going to start. I'm going through. I'm doing another round of kind of clearing out some of my Star Wars collection because, again, I just have too much stuff. And I would much rather. Give this away to folks that want it, then throw it in a recycle bin. Um, so if you don't follow us on Instagram, definitely follow us. It's just the underscore Wampusler. Um, and watch our watch the stories coming up because I'm going to probably have a couple of items coming up in the next week that I just would love to get rid of. Um, I don't ask for anything in return. Just, just your mailing address, and I'm happy to send these things to you. Obviously, everything is used. Nothing is particularly rare, but... Um, I've got some books, a couple of random collectibles that I would I would love someone just to enjoy since I no longer have the room for it. So certainly, be sure to follow us on Instagram if you'd like some free stuff.
0: Yes, free stuff from your favorite podcaster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, at least Carl's my favorite podcaster. Oh, you're so sweet because you're mine. Oh,
1: doesn't that work out great? Oh.
0: <laughs> This is, this is just going to turn into a love fest, isn't it, Carl? <laughs> uh, we are a good and bead. <laughs> we are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, uh, Jason, without further ado, shall we talk mm. about the classic original trilogy that brought Star Wars into our world? Now, yes. I would like to preface, just before we even get mm-hmm. going, and maybe I shouldn't do this so that folks don't tune out right away, but um, i just like to tell this as kind of my own little backstory. is When I got introduced to Star Wars, obviously the original trilogy, and this was in the year 1994-1995, because um, Jason and I are both products of what is technically considered the Dark Times. Um, mm-hmm. I only ever saw for the first three years of my fandom, the only Star Wars movies I watched was Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back and the Ewok movies. I didn't see A New Hope till a good two years into my fandom. And as a result, A New Hope has never been a favorite of mine. And... I don't mean that in a disparaging way, and I know any of you who are listening who grew up with the original trilogy, I'm sure A New Hope is probably your favor or at least towards your top. Um, so I don't have a lot of A New Hope stuff here, and that's in no way meant to be uh, a way of looking down at that. It's just Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back are kind of... Those are the two movies that bled Star Wars for me for the first few years of my fandom and still continue to be my giant Star Wars hug (laughs) um, of Star Wars movies. So I've got a lot of Empire and Jedi stuff to to share over the next two episodes. Um, So I just want to put that out there right now.
0: That's totally fine. I mean my list is definitely going to be heavily weighted towards Return of the Jedi because it is my favorite Star Wars movie of all time. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, there's um, there will be quite a bit of Return of the Jedi love throughout these two episodes that we're going to do here. So, <laughs> um,
1: well, that said, Jason, uh, I I don't remember who started us last time. Do you? Who's going to start this? Who's going to start our list today? I
0: don't remember who started uh, last time. But I think I'll go ahead and start this time. Love it. So go for it. All right, number 10. We are actually going to start in A New Hope. Nice! Um, Love it. So, uh, number 10. If you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. So, (laughs) the the final portion of the duel between Obi-Wan and Vader, primarily, you know, that quote and the fact that through Obi-Wan's complete selfless sacrifice uh, to save Luke and the rest of the gang, he is transformed instantly into the force when Vader strikes him down. Uh, And then just the complete confusion and shock on Vader's mask as he tries to figure out what just happened. Um, I love that moment. It's, it's, it's a great moment. It's a poignant moment and one that uh, has garnered more weight for me uh over the last several years as we have talked about you know the the light side of the force and and the importance of the selflessness that is part of the light side of the force so um so yeah that's that's my number 10
1: that's such a i mean such a powerfully defining moment in star wars um you know mm-hmm. it, from from the uh dramatic behind the scenes where you know george eventually revealed to alec guinness that he was going to be killed before the third act of the movie mm. and alec was super pissed <laughs> um and george was scrambling like oh no no, no. you don't don't worry you you're going to become something even bigger and better um you know to yeah i mean this this is probably the epitome of the most jedi moment for obi-wan kenobi um to to completely give of himself for the life of others. Um, yeah. I mean, it's such a powerful moment and um, not too long ago, uh, you know, our buddy Greg, who was on, on with us last week, uh, he did a entire Kenobi episode over on outer rims podcast, which is a great, great show. If you don't listen and uh, I'm just dealing directly from Greg here because Obi-Wan is his guy. And, and I love listening to Greg breakdown Obi-Wan. But he, he essentially says, you know, in this moment, it's it's really about Vader thinks he's in control. And like you said, Jason, when he gets cut down, he doesn't know, like, he really thought he was more powerful. And then Obi-Wan just disappears. Like, Vader understands mm-hmm. that there is a lot he doesn't understand. And, and and Obi-Wan, this moment is where Obi-Wan teaches him that. So, um, you yeah. know, it, it's pretty powerful.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. And it's such a... Poignant moment, not only in terms of the film and the story and everything, but it really is kind of the moment that launches Luke into his intense um, yearning for discovery about the Force. Mm, so, yeah, yeah absolutely, and, and his pursuit of learning about the Force. Yeah, so, but yeah. Well, what about you, Carl? What's your number 10?
1: My number 10, I am going to take us to Return of the Jedi on the Death Star 2 with the arrival of none other than Sheev Palpatine. Thanks,
0: The Death Star will be completed on schedule. You've done well, Lord Vader. And
1: now, I sense you wish to continue your search for young Skywalker. Yes, my master. Patience, my friend. In time, he will see
0: you out. And when he does, you must bring him before me. He has grown strong. Only together can we turn him to the dark side of the Force. As you wish. Everything is proceeding as I
1: have foreseen. I love this moment from Return of the Jedi. Um, It's so cool to me. Like, it's, you know, it's really the first time we see the kind of the the bravado of the Imperial Navy. It's fully assembled. You've got, you know, you've got that opening shot of all these TIE fighters, these tie interceptors that we're seeing for the first time, you know, kind of orbiting the equator of Death Star 2 as, you know, palpatine shuttle lands. And, you know, there's this very regal feel. I mean, obviously Return of the Jedi opens with Darth Vader, you know, coming and there's kind of this fancy welcoming party. But this is that on steroids, right? And even Vader at the beginning is like, dispense with this. Like he doesn't care. But no, this is what you do for the Emperor of the Universe. <laughs> you know, you, there is a lot of pomp and cir- circumstance to this. Um, you know, it's, it's, for any of you who watch Game of Thrones, it's that first episode of Game of Thrones where, uh, you know, King Baratheon shows up in Winterfell and everybody's lined up waiting to greet him. You know, this is obviously much more sinister than that. Um, but when the Emperor shows up... It is a big deal, right? And I love the you know the shot of the royal guards coming down. You, you it, you've got all this white and gray and black, and then all of a sudden this bright crimson red of these royal guards, you know, flanking the the ramp as it comes down. It's just it's just so evocative of like, whoa, this person commands tremendous power. And what really sells that point is. Darth Vader just fallen to his knees. Now, granted, Vader goes to his knee in, in his Emperor's conference call in Empire Strikes Back. But this is something mm-hmm. just so prolific. Like, Vader has been in control of, especially in Empire Strikes Back, he comes there as a commanding force at the beginning of the movie. And then the Emperor shows up and it's like he just becomes the lapdog, right? I mean, and then you see the Emperor and is this crippled old man. And yet he commands all of this, even this powerful person named Darth Vader, um, it's just such an evocative scene, and I, I enjoy it so much every time I watch it. Um, and then as they're strolling along, and they, you know, Vader and the Emperor are essentially plotting on how to corrupt Luke, how to bring him into the dark side. And I don't know. There's just something so frightening about that. They want to possess Luke especially the Emperor the Emperor wants to possess Luke and that said you know that 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 particular moment takes on a whole new sensibility in light of Rise of Skywalker right with what the Emperor wants to do to Rey but this is just this is what the Emperor is all about is he wants people to possess both figuratively and literally right it's for him everything is a tool for him nothing matters outside of its Outside of its use for good old Sheev, and as the Emperor is just telling Vader how everything's going to play out, he's already foreseen it. There's just something so frightening about. Wait, how does he really already know this? Is he really that in mm-hmm. control of, of of fate and of destiny? Um, it's it's just such a, a terrifying scene yeah. to think that Luke may not have the free choice to to do what he thinks is right.
0: Love it. Yeah yeah because you know this is this is not you know while this they are talking about luke this is not about luke this is about what palpatine wants this is about his power and ma- maintaining that power uh and making sure that vader stays in line uh and the goal is still you know outside and away from from Palpatine that Vader is not trying to usurp him. So, this is this is definitely like all right. So, how are we doing on this? This is your check-in Vader, you know. What what are you up to? How how is this going? Yeah. Uh, you know. And, <laughs> and and then Vader gives up the update as yes, excellent as I have foreseen. And who knows, has he foreseen it probably, but you know, Palpatine is also very very skilled at improvising and Mm -hmm. taking advantage of situations. So sometimes it just seems like he's seen everything, but no, it's a fantastic scene and it ends with that fantastic laugh of his, that cackle, (laughs) you know, I, uh, I love it. It's a great scene.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, And and it's like the Emperor forgets the the lesson that Yoda taught Luke in Empire, which is always in motion is the future, right? So the Emperor may have had a glimpse of a possible future, but it doesn't mean that it's definite. So. Right. Yeah. Like Doctor Strange in Infinity War, you know, he saw like 4 million (laughs) possibilities of how it could play out and only one worked.
0: (laughs) Right. You know, and Yoda says, you know, always emotion is the future. So,
1: yeah. Um, well, what is your number 9?
0: Oh, well, my number 9 uh is going to be a quick one. Um it's a fun one. It's something I just love because of the character involved with it. We're going to go into uh Empire Strikes Back actually. And this is no one's ever picks this moment for their favorite from Empire Strikes Back. But me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But Wait. we're going to go to the end of Empire Strikes back. The Millennium Falcon is racing away from the Executor and R2 repairs the hyperdrive and they <laughs> shoot out uh into hyperspace getting away. Uh I just love this. R2 saves the day. Everything is going to hell. No one is, you know, Luke is beat to crap. His arm's been cut off. Uh, Han has been frozen in Carbonite. They are being pursued by Vader's flagship. It doesn't look good. The hyperdrive is not working. And R2 just trundles along through the Millennium Falcon. uh, While Chewie is there frantically trying to find out what the cause of the issue is. And R2 just goes, here it is. Because the Central City Computer told me. And (laughs) fixes the Millennium Falcon rocketing it into hyperspace and saving them all. I'm like, yes, please. Thank you very much. I'll take more of that. Um, so, Arthur, yeah. Come back here at once. <laughs> you haven't finished with me yet. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I love it. I love it because r my favorite character. So this is just one of his very impressive moments throughout the saga. So, it's
1: it's really great. I mean, it, it, in this moment, you're like, how are they going to get out of this? Right. Once again, the hyperdrive doesn't work. They're going to get mm-hmm. recaptured. Like, what is going on? And R2, you know, obviously, there's, it's perfectly set up about five minutes earlier in the movie where three, you know, we, we don't care about the hyperdrive in the Falcon. It's been fixed. <laughs> um and and, exactly and it's a i love that shot of r2 essentially swiveling his head no like no it isn't (laughs) um and and it's great because it's like r2 r2 is a he's not the relation droid like 3po is and yet when he's plugged into other computers he listens to what they have to offer (laughs) um and who knows (laughs) who knows how that conversation went down did what did the computer just offer it up to R2 did R2 make some inquiries I have no idea um but whatever it was R2 knew something was was up and realized they aren't going to be able to fix this without me and just jumps into action
0: yeah um yeah because that's R2 R2 is a man of action or droid of action um (laughs) (laughs) he's not one for fancy talk he is one for doing yes yes
1: Well, and I always love how once it, he engages the hyperdrive and he goes flying back, essentially onto the top of Chewbacca, who's down in that pit. You know, Earlier in the movie, yep. all the, the toolkit falls down on and He's like, ow, Chewie, but imagine what it's like to have a droid fall on top of you.
0: <laughs> yeah, And R2 is not, uh, shall we say, light. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's got to hurt. Oh, I don't care what universe you're from. That's got to hurt so (laughs) Uh, but yeah love it that's that's my my number nine what's your number nine carl
1: my number nine is from a new hope and we are going to go into the cantina um it's that moment where Mm -hmm. they go into the cantina and meet han um i love this sequence every time i watch a new hope it's again when i when i was putting together this list it's like what are those moments even you know 30 years later into my fandom, well, I guess technically 25 years later into my fandom, what are those moments that I still, even when it's on in the background, what what draws me in? And this is always that moment from A New Hope where when Luke and Ben and the droids come into the cantina and you just, the first thing that grabs me is the music. I mean, I love the cantina band song from Fig and Dan and the Model Nodes. Uh, I love just this diversity of of different alien species just gathered around the place, right? This is... This is very, you know, case in point, Joseph Campbell's, you know, crossing the threshold. This is Luke really entering into a whole new world. Um, a whole new world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I mean, it's funny because, like, as we've learned, um, thanks to lots of expanded universe material over the many years, the cantina here is actually a quite shady place. Um, you know, it's, it's it's got gangsters and smugglers and criminals of all of all kinds. But when I first saw this movie as a kid, I was like, Oh man, I would love to hang out there. Like, it just seems like a really fun place. You got all these cool little like nooks and crannies to hang out in. And these little booths. I mean, I love a good diner booth. So like, I'm like this place just feels so cool. It's got a great vibe. And to this day, when, if I can ever find a bar that has a similar vibe to the cantina, that is a bar I will return to. (laughs) Um, You know, it's just, it's just such a cool setting to me. And Got to give a quick shout out to to uh, J.C. Reifenberg, who opened the Scum and Villainy Cantina on Hollywood Boulevard in L.A. We've had it's been a long time, but J.C. was on the show a long time ago. And um, J.C. was one of the first people we met at Fan Days all those years ago. Jason, When we met with his his fan film uh-huh. um, and, uh, you know, J.C.'s bar, Scum and Villainy, is a recreation of the cantina bar scene, which is which is super cool. And I really hope to get out there uh, next summer when I'm out in California for celebration. (laughs) Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I just, the, the look and the feel of the cantina is great. And I don't know if you ever had this Jason when you were, when you were younger, but something that you could get, uh, early on in, in the star Wars insider, they always had the, the merchandise section where you could order things and they made that 3d diorama of the cantina. I don't know if you ever had that. It was, uh,
0: I I didn't have it. I I wanted it, but I never had it.
1: Yeah. That was one of the things I ordered from there. And I remember, cause you know, back in the mid nineties power, the power of the force action figure line, they produced every single (laughs) alien you saw in the background in the cantina. Like they made everything. Whereas obviously they don't do that anymore. Um, But uh, you know, so I, when I got that cantina, I was like, Oh, I barely have any of these aliens. So I remember buying a bunch of those aliens just so I could set up the cantina and I, and I loved it. So that also increased my love and appreciation of the scene again, because as a kid, like being able to recreate it, to play with it, to be a participant in it made me enjoy the scene that much more every time I watched it. And of course, this is where they finally get to meet who has obviously become my favorite character in Star Wars, which is Han Solo. And, you know, Han's just got this really cool swagger to him. And, you know, he immediately like drops like what makes him credible. Like You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon. It's the ship that made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. And I got to point out, it's so cool that he says it's the ship that made the Kessel Run. He doesn't say, I made the Kessel Run. It's the ship, right? So hmm. as cocky as Han is, and, and now it's funny with the retrospective of having seen Solo and see the Kessel Run happen... It wasn't just Han who did that, right? It took Lando. It took Kira. It took Chewie. It took L3 being plugged in, right? So it really was the ship that kind of made it happen. So as as cocky as Han is, he does give credit to where credit is due. Um, But even early on when I watched the scene, this idea of a Kessel Run, that there's – it just – immediately made the galaxy feel that much bigger. Similar to obviously when Obi-Wan name drops the clone wars, right? These are these things that George Lucas sprinkled into a new hope that told us this is a huge active ongoing universe with so many stories. And the story of the Kessel run was something I just, I immediately wanted to know, like who, who is this guy? Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I just, I love that moment. And, and I love Han just like giving Luke such a hard time, you know, uh, <laughs> what is it what's the price Fifteen thousand. we can almost buy our own ship for that who's gonna fly it kid you. yeah <laughs> um you bet i can't you know yeah Ugh, so. I love that scene so much that's my number nine
0: nice oh well yeah it's really hard to beat the good old cantina scene um i don't know i, I i've always enjoyed all of that you know just the uh, the introduction to Han, the, the myriad of aliens just milling around, the music is always entertaining. I, it's it's just a classic, classic scene um, in Star Wars. There's just no doubt about it. It's you know, it's hard to get more classic than that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. I don't have much more to add other than just I fan- I freaking love it. It's a fantastic a fantastic moment. But It's
1: it's a lot of fun,
0: right? It is. And you pulled out some, you know, some moments in there and uh some some details that I I wouldn't ever like grab onto like, you know, the connection between how the falcon made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs, you know, and he talks about the falcon and not just himself, you know. Yeah. And connecting that over to Solo. That's the that's connection I hadn't made before. So, good one. Yeah, oh, well, thank good you. Good one. <laughs> uh, where are we going for your number eight? Well, nine number eight, uh, we are going into Return of the Jedi. Mm. Um, and this kind of ties in with your Return of the Jedi moment earlier, just later. <laughs> um, <laughs> this ties into yours, but it's different. <laughs> But it's different. <laughs> yes, uh, this is actually Luke meeting the Emperor, oh, great, you know. Great scene. Such a good scene, you know. We get the very, very tense elevator ride up. Uh, gosh, I, I can't imagine how awkward that elevator ride must have been, just the two of them standing there together, just awkward. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, he, he, meaning Luke, gets brought up and introduced to the Emperor, who... Uh, you know, shows he's Force-powerful, you know, for his shows that he's Force-sensitive immediately by saying, oh, you no longer need those, and, you know, unlocking Luke's binders from the entire room away. Um, and then, just, he begins to launch into, I'm looking forward to completing your training. In time, you will call me Master. You know, just laying out agent. his plans. Yeah. <laughs> you won't convert me as you did my father. Oh, no, my young Jedi. I think you will find that it is you who are mistaken about a great many things. His lightsaber. Ah, yes, a Jedi's weapon, much like your father's. By now, you must know your father can never be return from the dark side. So shall it be with you. <laughs> so good.: <laughs> uh, I, And here, here's the thing. He takes the lightsaber without even looking at it. you know, mm. Like he doesn't look at it. He's, "Oh, yes, yeah, much like your father's. It's not, but that's not the point, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it, it, Jedi, it's a Jedi's weapon. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's not. It's just, it's not. It's like Obi Wan's, but <laughs> that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Palpatine is there to try and get under Luke's skin, to undermine him, to to make him doubt himself, to make him to cloud his judgment. Because that is when he'll be able to move in and take advantage of the situation. So, this is this is Palpatine trying to do all the tricks on Luke that worked on Anakin. But the problem is, he's got like, you know, a half an hour to try and get all this to work rather than like, ten years. So, um, so he's he lays into it you know immediately without you know any guile whatsoever um but you know against anyone else it'd be pretty effective mm. so yeah but yeah the the thing about this scene is that it's it's definitely um it's where all the cards are kind of laid out on the table with both of them, because we we still get the, you know, uh, the conversation about you know your confidence is your weakness, your faith in your friends is yours. You know, they both like identify each other's weaknesses immediately, um, and it's you know, this is where the the lines have been drawn, and now we just have to see how it'll play out. And I love this scene. I love this scene so much. So.
1: Yeah. I, I love this scene so much too, Jason. I'm glad you put it on your list. Um, Surprisingly, my favorite person now to watch in that scene is actually Darth Vader. Um, I mean, he's just, he's the silent observer. And yet as these two are jockeying for positions um, and, and the, the emperor talks about Vader, like he's an object for him, right? Like, you know, you won't convert me like, you you know, your mind, just like your father is, you know, it's, It's all about I own him and now I'm going to own you, boy. And Vader just, you know, stands there again, kind of like this lapdog. And when Luke says, you know, your overconfidence is your weakness. And Vader just, I mean, watch that scene if you haven't noticed this. It's very, Vader quickly turns and just stares at Luke like, yo, you can't talk to him like that. He's the emperor, right? There's almost this shock from Vader of like, I can't believe you would talk to him like that. But in a really powerful way, what I love about the scene about Luke is Luke really isn't afraid. Luke just – he's just going to go there and Luke goes there thinking he's going to die too, right? Like, um, you know, yeah. soon I'll be dead and you with me. You know, And, and the Emperor <laughs> right. seems to think he knows what's going you referred
0: down. But, it, yeah. You refer to the attack of your rebel fleet. Yes, I assure you. We are quite safe from your friends here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, God, yeah. and every, every line Ian McDermott says in Return of the Jedi is quotable. Oh, I'm just going to put absolutely that
1: there. no question about it. You are so right about that. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, it, it's you've got this puppet master and this young person who refuses to be puppeted. If that's a I don't know if that's a verb or not, but I made it one, um, you know, and, and then you've got the puppet who sees this young his own son refusing to allow strings to be attached to him. You know, I mean, that that witness to Darth Vader in the moment, too, I think, is, again, part of the reason he's going to turn, you know, is, is just seeing the the courage of his own son. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I, Yeah, it's such a great scene
0: yeah it's it's absolutely fantastic i I have always enjoyed this scene um, so yeah, but what about you, sir? What is your number eight? We are going to go to Cloud City
1: for the Empire Strikes Back to a very classic duel between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, um, of course, the infamous duel in the carbon freezing chamber um, right from the get go. I love this fight. Luke gets shot up through that tube into the carbonite chamber, notices everything going into lockdown. He's, he's stuck here. He's, he's fallen into the trap. And I love it. That shot of him, he's holding his blaster and he looks at it and puts it back in its holster. You know, I just, Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I, I'm still, I'm sure somebody knows, knows this answer. to the question I'm about to pose. Um, and I'm embarrassed that I don't know it, but, I don't know where that came from. Was that written in the screenplay stage direction by Urban Kirshner? Was that there by Lawrence Kasdan? Was it a George Lucas thing? Was it Mark Hamill improvising? But I love that subtle little thing of Luke looking at the blaster and deciding to put it in his holster. Because again, he knows, you know, he brought a gun to a knife fight, you know, which is interesting because mm-hmm. normally we say you brought a knife to a gunfight. But, um, right, like Luke knows this is not the weapon of choice here. Um and as he holsters that, the lights come up and the Vader's breath can be heard. You know, the force mm-hmm. is with you, young Skywalker, but you're not a Jedi yet. And he just ascends those stairs to this domineering force and boom, they just get it on. And Luke just, in the carbon freezing chamber, he holds his own, but it's very clear that he is no match for Darth Vader. I mean, Vader is fighting him one-handed this entire part of the fight. You know, it's... Yeah. It is so one-sided. And again, debatably, my favorite set piece in all of Star Wars is the carbon freezing chamber. I mean, I just love the the blue and the gold lighting, right? Um, I th- I'm trying to remember J- – Joe Hogan told us what, what that's called in, in the art world. I think it's synchronous lighting or something. I don't remember. But they're opposites on the color I, I wheel. Remember. Yeah, I just know that they're opposites on the color wheel. So that's why they work very well together. Um so that said, right, I just anything in the carbon freezing chamber. I'm just there because I love that setting. But as they're fighting and <laughs> Luke gets thrown down into the pit and Vader thinks it's so easy and then boom, he shoots up. I like watching Luke call his lightsaber to his hand because it's it does really show there's been some significant progress in his abilities as a Jedi from the start of the movie. Right. When he's hanging upside down in the Wampus lair. Um He struggles to call that lightsaber to his hand, and here it's just something so instinctual, right? Um, For whatever reason, for all ever since Attack of the Clones came out, Jason, I always think of Mace Windu just pulling his lightsaber to his hand when Jango tries to die for it, and right, like how the ability to call a lightsaber to your hand is is just such a natural, instinctual process for a Jedi, and Luke struggles with that at at the top of this movie, but. By the end of the movie, mm-hmm. it's become that instinctual thing for him too. Like he has certainly come into the world of a Jedi Knight, um, and yet, even though he's made this significant progress, he's just getting he's just getting owned, right? And right. Vader's taunt, right? Like the it, 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 it seems like a unanimous um appraise of this particular sequence among fandom is people love. Darth Vader taunting Luke, right? And the only duel we really get any taunting in, in the prequels is obviously your beloved duel of Count Dooku and, and Obi-Wan. And, you know, but what's so great about Vader's taunts is, you know, he's really, he's telling Luke that he knows what's best for Luke. I know your destiny. You belong with me. Don't fight it. Just accept it. Right. And I think this is, this is to me, the terror of the dark side is the dark side seems to try to limit your freedom by telling you this these are the boxes that you have to live in because this is the way it's supposed to be and vader's lived into that experience like he has limited himself by falling to the dark side and now he's trying to just tell luke hey this is who you are now and and Obviously, Luke doesn't yet know he's his father, but think of any sort of parent who's overbearing like that to their children. Like, this is who you are. This is what you're meant to be. You know, I mean, there's a little bit of George Lucas autobiography in this, right? His his father saying to him, you're going to take over the general store when I go. And, and George pushes back and says, hell no, I'm not. <laughs> I have bigger dreams for myself. Right. right. So so I love that taunting because in a way, it's he's trying to manipulate Luke and tell Luke that he knows what's best for him um, and, and tries to mm-hmm. limit who Luke can become. Um, and, and Luke's just doesn't have any time for that. He's like, Nope, I'm going to, and he just, he fights with everything he, he's got. And it's just not even close to good enough. <laughs> not at this point. Yeah. Um, And, and the, the last little thing I want to point out, one of my favorite parts of the duel too, is as we get towards the end of the duel and, Luke's walking down the arcade room in cloud city. That's I I feel like that's what most folks in fandom call it. You know, the little arcade room and you get that really cool shot of Vader slicing down over, you know, over Luke's head. I just love that shot because now Vader has turned into the, the ferocious predator he can be. And Luke is just totally screwed at this point. You know, now Luke is just fighting to preserve his life at this point. And he's, he's woke the beast, if you will. Um, And, and Vader just, pounds down on him and you know it's it's this brutal reminder that you know luke just wasn't ready yoda and obi-wan were right like you weren't ready for this and and that's just the truth of it is luke goes there with the best of intentions and his heart in the right place but he's just not ready um and and I think that's you know this this fight it's 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 really well choreographed. Um, you know George always likes to pick on how you know oh you know the duels and the the originals were you know an old man and a robot and you know everything's slow. But if you were, if you watch the duels of Empire and Jedi, they're actually quite quick. They're not as slow as George lets on. I mean, Kenobi versus Vader, yes, it's pretty slow. But Luke versus Vader, rounds one and two are actually quite quite aggressive fights. Um. So, yeah, I I love this fight. And, and, um, you know, it's 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 a reminder to Luke that he still has a lot to figure out about himself. But even though he loses the fight, he wins the war in a sense because he refuses to take the easy path. Right. Like at the end of that fight, when he throws himself right. down that chasm, it's I'd rather be dead than give in to what you gave in to. I'm stronger than that. So I I love yeah. that statement. I love that statement. So yeah, that's my number. No, eight. and
0: it's it's a great scene, you know, and it's it's definitely uh a, a classic, another classic and one that people go to a lot. Um for good reason. Uh but you know, it it, it is the uh one of the most defining moments um in in all of Star Wars, you know, it 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 has no I am your father in it, which is not only a very defining moment for the saga as a whole and, and one of the most classic um moments in all of movie history, but it's it's a moment that changes and shapes Luke forever mm-hmm. from that point on.
1: Yeah.
0: So, um it's It's fantastic he goes into this duel, trying to kill the man who murdered his father, only to find out that that man is in fact his father uh and just the the whirl of emotions that he had to have gone through you know throughout that entire duel, and the way that Vader sort of toys with him and then turns aggressive and beats him down and finally gets to the reason as to why he's doing that at the very end you know it's it's a duel that defines and changes both of them luke more dramatically but it sort of like lurks and and eats away at vader hmm. over the next year yeah. Uh, until we get to Return of the Jedi, so
1: yeah. Um. Well, where are you taking us for your number seven?
0: Uh, number seven, I'm staying in Return of the Jedi. Um, a, a much more tranquil moment. Uh, we're going to go out to the forests of Endor Ooh. when Wicket finds Leia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I love this scene I, you know, obviously Leia's, you know, been knocked out after uh, her speeder bike chase and she is discovered by a native of this forest moon of Endor uh, Wicked W. Warwick and just the, the fantastic you know, introduction sequence that they go through as they, they meet each other and learn to trust each other uh you know, Leia Ever the diplomat, you know, <laughs> finds a way to connect and then of course that ends up with them teaming up to take down the scout troopers at the very end before Wicket decides, you're a friend, I'm gonna take you home. Um <laughs> <laughs> Mom, check it out, I found a lost human. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Hey, I found a puppy. Can I keep yeah, can her? Can I have him? Can I keep him? <laughs> Yeah, exactly, you know, um, but it's just a it's just a, an adorable, fun little scene. Um, I you know, I, I love that Leia immediately tries to figure out how to how to connect how to how to talk to Wicket, and just the the acting that Warwick Davis is able to do through that that heavy thick costume is fantastic. You know, it's it's just terrific the the amount of uh, you know emotion and and curiosity that he manages to portray um, is is spectacular. So uh, I love it. There's there's not much else to say about it, but I just I freaking love this scene. Yeah, so. yeah,
1: I mean any anything from the forest moon of Endor for me at this point, Jason. In light of that video we made a couple of years ago when we were in the redwoods, I uh, just. Uh, I just love everything about Endor. <laughs> no scene can do, do wrong for me at this point. And this is a this is a great moment where you know it, it's the, the this indigenous person has found Leia and super curious about her and Rather than deeming him a threat, Leia, like you said, Jason, instantly, instantly just kind of goes into diplomatic mode. And, right, this scene is also a very silly scene, right? Like she pulls her helmet off and Wicket gets all freaked out again. And, you know, it's meant to be kind of a comedic moment. Um, as, as you know, as our as our team gets separated and, and things start to seem to be going poorly, we kind of need a, a moment of levity. And, right, because I right. think could be wrong um is it right before this or right after this that the emperor or that vader goes to the emperor to tell him that he his son is down on endor it's, it's right after it is right after okay so my point i was going to make is moot um but uh yeah i mean i i, I love love this moment of, of leia seeing wicket as like you said jason like there there's this point of connection it's not it's not like Oh, you're a nuisance. Get out of my way. It's who are you? Like, maybe you can help me because she knows she's going to need it. And she understands that this is a native of this land. You can probably help me. Right. Um, Leia immediately sees the value in Wicket. And I would say that makes her even more credible than Qui-Gon because Qui-Gon's initial response to Jar Jar is get away. (laughs) Whereas Leia's initial response is maybe you can help me. Right, um, so Leia is the supreme diplomat of Star Wars
0: she is, and she's uh one of the more successful ones at it too, so <laughs> <laughs> for sure but yeah no it's it's a great moment, a great scene uh with two great characters, so I freaking love it. <laughs> uh What about you, Carl? Where is your number seven taking us?
1: My number seven is going to take us into the Empire Strikes Back into a very perilous situation. I saw him. I
0: saw him. Saw what? Star Destroyer coming right at us. Uh, My guy shut him up or shut him down. Take the deflector shield. Great. Right. Well, it's still off and over.
1: It is, of course, the iconic asteroid field chase. <laughs> um, you know, it, I was actually Jason when I was compiling this list. I was surprised how high I had a chase scene in my top ten, because <laughs> uh, you know, as, I, wow. as I, I know, as I've said over the many years, chase scenes just in any any movie chase scenes always tend to bore me. And to be fair, the majority of Star Wars chase scenes aren't my favorite, but there are quite a, there are a few of them that I really love, and this is obviously one of them. Um, you know. Th- uh, everything about the way this is shot. And again, props to this looking so good for being made in 1980. Right. I mean, it's mm. over 40 years old now. And in my opinion, still looks great. Um, but I love this, you know, is, is the shot opens, right? We leave Luke in a tranquil space as he's off to Dagobah, the, the camera pinwheels into the Falcon being pursued by this massive star destroyer immediately. What it always makes me think of Jason is that opening shot of a new hope of the Tana four being chased down by the devastator, right? It's, this is, mm-hmm. this is the story of the original trilogy, this mighty massive monstrous empire chasing down this ragtag little rebellion, right? And this is Han trying to steer them clear of the, the the claws of the of the giant monster right um and and i i just love this and you know han brags all in a new hope about what a great pilot he is but we don't really see him do anything that spectacular until here (laughs) you know this takes some legit skill han Mm. has to outrun an imperial starfleet and he does it by going into an asteroid field where the, you know, the yeah. odds of survival are approximately 3,725 to one. To which Han replies, yeah. never tell me the never odds. Me yeah. Um, and he turns on some Nickelback um, and just goes for it. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you remind me. Yeah. Um, so I had to get in some Nickelback. It's been a while. Um, everybody's listening and saying, did you though? <laughs> did you really? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I man, I just I love this asteroid field chase. And it, again, this is a Han Solo moment. It's one of my favorite Han Solo moments. You know, in order to survive, Han is a survivor. That's how he's lived his whole life up to this point. In order to survive, it requires you to take huge risks and trust your instincts. You know, and this well, the, the reason the asteroid field chase means so much to me, especially now. I don't like, I don't know that this would actually have been on my list. Ten years ago, let alone when I was younger. Um, But I love it so much now because this scene really is about that level of self-confidence in Han. This is not Han necessarily being cocky, even though, you know, never tell me the odds. That's a cocky line for sure. But this is a Mm -hmm. person who is incredibly self-confident. And he is self-confident because he really believes in these natural given instincts and gifts that he has behind you know, behind a cockpit. Like, he just really believes in himself and trusts in what he's capable of doing. And I just, I love that message of, you know, no matter how dire the circumstance you're in, trust those natural, beautiful instincts that the force has given to you, if you will. Um, and, And Han just kind of inevitably does that there. He just slips so deep into himself and just channels those natural instincts he has. And I love that about him. And I tried so hard, Jason, to try to find the, the audio clip of this. And I just, for the life of me, couldn't. So if, if you know where to find this, please let us know after, <laughs> uh, um, after we record. But Dave Filoni one time in an interview was saying how um, to him, anybody can tap into the force. You know, you don't have to be a Jedi to, to, to tap into the force. And he, he credits this scene for his example. He says, to me, when Han Solo is going through the asteroid field... That's him touching the force. That's him being so connected to his inner skill and his inner self that he's ultimately tapping into the force. And I don't think Dave Filoni is trying to say Han Solo's a Jedi or he, he has Jedi abilities. But, you know, no. uh, something that's very clear in Star Wars today is that, you know, right, the force is ex- the force is available to everybody. Um, just certain people have a more unique ability with it than others. But for Dave Filoni to say that, I was like, "Yes, like that is so true. Like this is Han connecting to the deepest part of himself and just going with it, and that's why they survive it because that Han just being Han, and I, and I love that so much. You know, um, I think I think that's you and I that day we were in the the Redwood Forest and decided to make this documentary about the Battle of Endor. That was just us being us, you know, just slipping it into was. ourselves and. Going, going for it, just going for something bold. You know, um, that's the asteroid field chase. It's telling you to trust in your instincts because they won't steer you wrong.
0: Exactly. Um, no, funny story about that. That documentary, that mockumentary we made. We're just sitting there enjoying a quick snack, looking up at the redwoods, and go, we should do something. We should do this. And yes, we should. And then we just did it. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, the asteroid chase is actually a scene that almost made my list. Um, I, I like it for probably different reasons than you do. Um, obviously it is for the excitement and the music and the action of the, the sequence, which is, it's freaking amazing. It's one of the most high intensity, uh, scenes in, in all of the original trilogy Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of action sequences. So it's fast paced. Uh, You feel the tension and the danger in every frame of that fight. The music is just going absolutely bonkers, you know, Uh, and you know, the, the actors apparently were feeling the tension on set that day because they pulled off the, (laughs) they pulled it off very well too. So yeah, I, uh, I really like this scene too. Um but it is where we get to see Han in his element, you know, in spite of problems going wrong. So uh he's he's still able to to get out of trouble, at least for the moment. So because the minute Han finds himself out of trouble, he also also finds a way to get himself back into trouble. <laughs> That's just what he does. It's
1: where he operates <laughs> best. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Oh man. We're down to our last one for this episode, Carl.
1: Yes. I I'm so curious where you're taking us. Where is your number
0: six? My right, number six, we're gonna go back to a new hope, actually. Nice. Um and we're gonna hit the trench run. Oh, so
1: classic.
0: Yeah. I, I'm a sucker for this classic scene. Uh it's you know, it's one of those things where Yeah. It's a long sequence. the The end battle over the Death Star uh, above Yavin Four is a long sequence, a long space battle, and I love all of it. But the most intense uh, and and engaged portion that I have in in it is the trench run. So primarily when when Luke dives down into the trench, obviously we get Red Leader with his trench run, and we we see the problem with how they're approaching it. Uh, but Luke has to dive down in there. He's got Bi- uh, Biggs and Wedge with him. Uh, Wedge has to pull out because his starfighter's been hit. Biggs sacrifices his life to buy Luke some more time. And then Luke realizes that he has to use the Force in order to make this shot. All the while, Darth Vader is bearing down on him, you know, like a bat out of hell. And uh, is about ready to, to just... Blast him out of the sky R2 shot you know again <laughs> he, he has to take a, a direct shot to save Luke's life um, and then it it ends with Han you know blasting out of nowhere to, to send Vader spinning off into space, giving Luke the uh, the ability to to make that final shot with the use of the force you've turned off your targeting computer what's going on nothing i'm all right you know uh and then the shot goes in the zoom away from the death star and it's just the music intensifies just the the drum and and trumpet stabs just bring us to the final point where the whole thing explodes and we all breathe a sigh of relief <laughs> you know yeah so good so good, one of the most masterful ways of building up a climactic tense battle that I've ever seen. Yeah, so
1: I love it. Yeah, you know, that the trench run has never been a favorite moment of mine. Um, but it, it can't not appreciate how cool it is, you know, um, and the ingenuity of, of how they created it. But yeah, that. It, I believe this moment came up when we were talking about our favorite tense scenes because this is one of those scenes, you know, I feel like this is even more tense than the asteroid field. I think the music has a lot to do with that. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is them throwing everything they can at this and everybody just keeps getting shot down, shot down, shot down. And then, you know, like you said, Jason, it, it, it really takes it literally takes Luke and it takes someone who's able to connect to the force so you know um yeah galen Erso wasn't as 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 forward thinking as he thought he was (laughs) there's a little rogue one dig for you (laughs) um oh man i just pissed off tons of people um but uh yeah you know it's uh it's such a great moment for sure and uh the the thing that I've always I think my favorite part of this sequence is when Vader picks up on Luke's force sensitivity and you know says oh the force is strong with this one, um, and then of course Han showing up so uh, it's just it's it's yeah classic it's so good
0: yeah I I freaking love it. Well, Carl, the last one to go. All What's right. your number six?
1: My number six. I'm going to take us. To, of course, Return to the Jedi, good old Bright Tree Village.
0: But Tatooine, Darth Vader, and General Vaskimo
1: get to the Death Star.
0: Michi me, and Jedi Obi Wan Kenobi, and Mano Machuveda con Yumno. Utopi. Yes, our two. I was just coming to that. Toronto gosh. Master Luke at
1: Chiminy Chudu. Uta <laughs> Millennium Falcon at Chiminy Cloud <laughs> <Large> City. What's <laughs> that? Nuch Veda.
0: <Vader>. Han Solo. <laughs> Ticolo Carbon. Wondek Kachnop Kubu Salak.
1: Kaoni. It is, of course, 3PO's bedtime story to the Ewok council at Bright Tree Village. Uh, Jason, I love this scene so much. And uh, I, I, before I dive into why, I'm just interest, I'm curious. Are you surprised that I have a C-3PO moment so
0: high in my list? Uh, C-3PO moment, maybe. This moment, not at all. Okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I know I've talked about this oh, a lot then, over the years. Yeah, no, <clears throat> this is a good scene. It's a very good scene, and uh, you've definitely brought it up uh, in my estimation over the years too. So, but I'll let you go ahead and talk about it first.
1: Yeah, well, I just wrote, I, to give to give just my personal connection to this scene. I mean, this was never a particular scene that stood out to me until. Um, about 10 years ago when I read for the first time, a book called my best friend is a Wookiee, which is written by Tony Pacitti. It's, it is my favorite book of all time to this day. Um, essentially it's a memoir from a person who's essentially my age talking about how Star Wars, he grew up with Star Wars and how Star Wars influenced his life. It's a really fun memoir. And he talks about how this scene, it was such a beautiful, comforting moment to him as a kid, and it has remained one of his favorite scenes in Star Wars. And just the way he, he described it and his love for it, I just, again, just like kind of every time I watched it from that day moving forward, I just got a whole new appreciation for this scene. So, again, you know, it's funny, Jason, because, you know, you made this comment before we started recording, but you said, you know, oh, you know, you've influenced some of my, my stuff on this list after all these years. And I think that's so true, as we make. Uh, New Star Wars friends and and they share their deep love of certain things Star Wars. It inevitably changes the way we see things in Star Wars. And um, this is a scene that is now, you know, it's my sixth favorite scene in the entire original trilogy. Um, And it all started by reading someone else's perspective on it. but now over the years, as I've kind of unpacked it for what I appreciated about it, and, and, and I apologize that I'm probably going to repeat myself from times I've talked about it before. But, um, you know, again, this is that scene where it's a myth in a myth, right? Star Wars in itself is a myth. And now in this myth, we're getting the telling of that myth by C-3PO. Yes. The um, yes. You know, most
0: was, fourth wall breaking moment we ever get in Star Wars. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. Without actually breaking said wall, right? Um, exactly. And, and it's just, it's this brilliant piece of storytelling where three PO is retelling. The, and, and again, like I think, again, I can't, I can't actually put myself in 1983 cause I wasn't alive, but I imagine for anybody who was watching return of the Jedi in 1983, right. It's been six years since they saw A new hope because it's not like today where you can just watch star Wars anytime, anywhere you want on your phone. Right. Um, you may not have seen star wars a new hope for 6 years so it's is kind of a nice catching you up in case you missed it last time on star wars <laughs> tune in to see c3po right. <laughs> in bright tree village right and catching us up on the the story to date so in the context of the the actual movie right here this is just 3po telling the ewoks their story but it's also telling us the audience that story and allows us to to be participants in that story um and I kind of actually, as you, as you were talking about you, the moment between Leia and Wicket, um, Jason, it got me thinking about something else I could add to this, which is, you know, Leia immediately sees the value in Wicket. And in this scene, you have PO and Han, Luke and Leia and Chewie immediately just choosing to be open, honest and trusting of the Ewoks. They're going to tell them what we're here for. Here's why we're here. This is what we're fighting for. Do you want to join us? Right? Like, it's not them trying to coerce them. It's not them trying to take advantage or demand something of the Ewoks. It's simply, here's our story. Here's what we stand for. Here's who we are. This is what we're fighting for. If you choose to believe the same thing, we'd love to have you with us. Right? Like, this is, <laughs> in a weird way, Jason, this is actually brilliant evangelism, if you will. This is three PO telling the rebel cause in about... 30 seconds and saying, if you want to be part of this, we'd love to have you. And of course the Ewoks want to be part of this. And so do we as an audience, we want to be part of that story. And, you know, um, I know we've talked about this so many times over the years, but part of what makes star Wars so magical is our ability to participate in it. And, you know, we did that as kids with our action figures. We do that as adults, as, as cosplayers or celebration goers, but this is a scene that's all about that in Star Wars. Hey, don't you want to participate in this story? That's what Three PO is offering to yeah. both the uh, us, the audience, and to the Ewoks. And yeah, I'm I'm right there with Logre. I want to grab my my arrowhead and go go march off against the Empire. <laughs> so
0: yes, uh, I love exactly. This scene. We want we want to be part of this story, this epic story that's being uh, you know played out here on the forest moon of Andor. Um, no, I, I love it, you know, and not only because of all the moments the the, you know, reasons that you've mentioned it uh, mentioned, but one of the things that uh, David Collins pointed out in uh, one of his discussions on Return of the Jedi in this scene is the use of the music. You know, it's mm. it's, uh, you know, all done in that, you know, the woodwinds and the, the very tribal Ewok sound but it is riffs and elements of the themes that John Williams has created over, you know, two and a half movies at this point. You know, it's you got Leia's theme in there, um, kind of a, a an homage to a bit to, to Darth Vader's a bit. You know, um, but the the music just kind of helps brings that together in a very, you know, very quaint um but powerful way. And and it's it's such a delightful little scene that I'm I'm disappointed it's not on my list, but it didn't quite make my list this time. This is one that that hit the cutting room floor at the last minute. <laughs> um but yeah. No, I I freaking love it. So. Yeah. Great pick. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and again like worth pointing out too that this is a story being literally told around a campfire, right? It couldn't get any more meta than that.
0: <laughs> um, no so no. it, it just,
1: I love the intimacy of the scene too. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you pulling up the the music stuff that, you know, David W. Collins taught us. Cause you're right. I mean, it's, it's all of the classic themes being retold on these woodwinds, these kind of more uh, historically indigenous type sounding instruments, which is, it's just awesome. It's, it just matches the scene so beautifully.
0: It does. It um, really does.
1: So oh, there you have it. Um, Good and faithful folks, we give you our initial list of top 10 original trilogy moments. Um, yeah. But like always, we, we want to know yours. So that said, Jason, mm-hmm. for, next week, for next episode, we um, have a poll, of course.
0: Where what, what do we want to know, Jason?
1: Yeah.
0: Well, next episode, Carl and I are going to get through our top five. Out of the top ten original OT uh you know, original trilogy moments um that we have, but we want your favorite original trilogy moment, uh, so that we can talk about that as well for next week. So everyone please, you know, weigh in on that on that poll, because we want to get as many of these moments as possible uh featured here on the podcast for next week. So Carl, if people want to weigh in on that poll. And you better, because we told you to. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but if people want to weigh in on that, or just give us their thoughts on this week's episode, or anything else pertaining to Star Wars, where can people contact us?
1: Um, well, of course, we are on Twitter at Wampas Lair. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore Wampas Lair. You can always email us at WampasLairPodcast at gmail.com. Um, Jason, before we... Uh, sign off for the episode. Um, As folks have probably noticed, as we said, throughout the summer, we've gone to this every other week schedule with with recording. But that said, next week, we're just going to do a a, a fun special episode. It's not Star Wars. So this year is the 25th anniversary of the sci-fi blockbuster classic Independence Day, and Joe Hogan and I have been going hard watching this movie this year. I was just down in New York City this past weekend with Joe, and we did a Manhattan tour of all the filming locations of the movie. So Next week we're doing just a special fun episode of Wampus Lair, not Star Wars related, where Joe and I are gonna just talk about our favorite moments from the movie Independence Day. So if you also love this movie like like we do, feel free to tune in next week for that episode. Um, and then of course the following week we'll be back to finish up our top ten list, as Jason said.
0: Yeah. No, so stick around for, for that sort of special uh, episode. This is a place where Carl and I want to get our thoughts out on, on all sorts of fun things. So, you know, Carl loves Independence Day. I like it, but I don't love it as much as Carl does, so we're going to let Carl and Joe have the floor <laughs> one. Um But yeah, uh, stick around for that. Anything else before we close down this episode, Carl? As always, Jason, this was a delight. It was a delight. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you have in your top Five Original Trilogy Moments, Carl But that'll be for next time So thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode Of the Wampa's Lair Podcast This has been episode number 433 Top 10 Original Trilogy Moments Part 1 For Carl, I'm Jason And we'll see you next time here In the Wampa's Lair